and commit this time to the Lord. Dear Lord, your word is so precious to our hearts and minds and to our life. Your word is so dear to each one of us because your word is our firm foundation. The only way that we can combat the, the, the falsehoods, the lies, the wicked schemes of the evil one. So Lord, guide us all throughout this message, O Lord, as we ponder on what the Apostle Peter tells his listeners thousands of years ago, O Lord. But still we know that the Word of God is still relevant to all of us. And that's why we are here for. Not only to sing praises to you, but more importantly, to instill the Word of God in our hearts so that your Word will be truly um, impressed in our minds and our hearts that we can apply them into our daily life. So Lord, may your Holy Spirit be with us, be with, be with me, O Lord, as we study the Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our topic uh, this next few weeks is about fighting truth decay. Fighting truth decay. You know, when we have a tooth decay, it's so painful, right? Uh, you want to do everything possible immediately in order to remove that kind of pain in your tooth. In the world that we live in right now, truth is being decayed also. Truth is being manufactured as lies. People don't want to study truth anymore. They want the lies of the devil, the lies of Satan. And we must remember that Satan is called the li a liar, a deceiver in the word of God. And he is the father of all lies. And for us Christians, especially in the world that we live in right now, we need to fight this big problem. Truth decay is a big problem in the world. And we need to overcome this problem by the power of the Lord God himself. We cannot do this by ourselves. That's why in the next few weeks, we're going to look at 2 Peter and we'll see how this, word, this part of the word of God will equip us to fight this truth decay. In order to fight truth decay, our main idea this morning is we must live an excellent life. We must live an excellent life as compared to a mediocre kind of life. And I'm going to explain that as we go along. Some of you might remember Tim Thibault, right? I think he's uh, retired right now from football. But he, when he was in college, he was also known as a quarterback. And he became the first sophomore to win the Heisman Trophy. And because of this uh, trophy, this honor, he was honored by the Florida Senate. The Senate awarded him the Medallion of Excellence for his achievements, not on the field, but off the field. The highest honor given by the chamber. Okay? He had a 3.77 grade point average, but more than that, he spent his spring break visiting orphans and sick children in the Philippines because his parents were missionaries back in the Philippines uh, many, many years ago. And this is what he said in one of his interviews. 
there are a lot of role models in football. And as we all know, many, there are many Christians actually in the world of football. But there are not a lot of good ones, Thibault said. People might not think that they are a role model, but there are always people watching. Take note of that. There are always people watching God's people. You might think people are just watching us when we are inside the church building, when you are in school, when you are in the grocery store, when you are in the hospital, or wherever you are. Lost people are looking at you, especially if you proclaim that you are a born-again believer. They will look at you, not necessarily the words that you say, but especially your behavior, your attitude, your actions. Are you serving as a role model? Or more importantly, the, the word of God says, you are witnesses. That's a statement of fact. That all of us are witnesses. We are proclaimers of the word of God. But sometimes we are not good witnesses. But no matter what, we are still witnesses. So our point this morning in the next few weeks is to be good witnesses. How can we live an excellent life? How can we fight this truth decay in the world? Just like Tim Tebow said, we are a nation in need of character and in need of doing the right thing. Keep that in mind. As God's people, we need to do always the right thing. Even if we will be cast away by people, by our family, by our friends, by our schoolmates, we need to do the right thing. Second Peter was written by the Apostle Peter in order to encourage and equip those who are scattered all over Asia Minor, okay, the Christians during the time, whether Jewish or Gentile Christians, equipping them in knowing the Word of God and how to combat the false teachers. If you have read First Peter uh, many years ago, we, we have a, a book study of First Peter. In, in the book of First Peter, the message of Peter was to encourage the suffering Christians because the Christians during the, those times were persecuted by their Jewish brethren and also by the Roman Empire. But now in Second Peter, the priority and the message of the apostle was about false teaching, about the decay of truth. And there are so many false teachings mentioned in the book of Second Peter. Right now in the world that we live in, there are so many false teachings. They would say, you can be saved, you can go to heaven, whatever way you choose. You just enter a certain church, be a part of that church, then you can be saved. Or if your parents are saved, they are Christians, then you are automatically saved. Or some people would go to great length and say that if you get baptized by water, even by the water of immersion, then you are saved. You are saved. But that is that the word of God? Does the word of God tell us that you can be saved through those things? Remember, the word of God says there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator between God and man, 
the man Jesus Christ. It didn't say the Pope, the church, the pastor, the parents, or anybody else. It says only Jesus Christ is the mediator, the one can, that can reconcile you with, with God. Peter, in this, at this point in time, verse 1 says, I am a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he's equating himself as equal to his listeners. He's not telling his people, I'm better than you, or you are worse than me. I am also a servant, first and foremost. And the word servant in our English Bible is a very light word. Because in the original Greek, the word servant here is doulos, which means a slave. And a slave is different from a servant. A slave cannot do whatever he likes. He only follows and obeys whatever his master tells him to do. While a servant can say something like, Oh, Lord Jesus, I'm your, I'm your servant, but right now, I don't want to follow your commands. I want to follow my own way. That's what a servant is. But the Bible says, we are in fact his slaves. If we consider Jesus Christ as our Lord, then why do we say, not, no Lord, not today? That's, that's a paradox, that's ironic in the Christian faith. Because when you call someone Lord, then you will obey that person no matter what. No matter what. You're going to follow the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter 1, 1-11, the Apostle Peter will tell us how can we live an excellent life. Because most Christians right now, sad to say, sometimes, including myself, we live a mediocre kind of life. What is a mediocre kind of life? It's a life that, that's just sitting on the chairs, praising God, and then after the church, nothing's going on in your life. You don't follow the plan of God. The word of God which says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. What happened to that command? We thought that that was the great commission. We thought that that was the command, the last command of Jesus Christ to his apostles and to all of us before he ascended into heaven. What happened to that go and teach all nations? Sometimes after church, people will go, not teach all nations, but go to the mall, go to the recreation. And sometimes on Sunday morning, Christians will not even attend church. And they say, oh, it's okay, I'll just attend once a month. It's good enough. What are we saying to the Lord? Are we pleasing Him? Are we honoring Him as a servant? No, we're not. If our attitude is like that, God will never be pleased with that. He wants us to act like slaves as we are supposed to be. Secondly, he said, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. Of course, right now, we don't believe that there are still apostles in the real sense of the word. Because the word apostle means sent by Jesus Christ specifically. And the apostles are the ones in the New Testament. Okay? The 11 apostles, the apostle Peter also, and some other people who wrote the Bible. Who call themselves apostles because they are sent by Jesus Christ 
specifically and directly by the physical resurrected Jesus Christ. But in real, in, in application, all of us are in some sense also called apostles because even though we are not sent directly by Jesus Christ, we are sent to the lost world. So even though we don't call ourselves as apostles, we are still sent. So we cannot make any excuse, right? That I don't want to proclaim the word of God or to preach the gospel to the lost people because I'm not an apostle. But we are all sent by Jesus Christ to this lost world. Yes, we know that this lost world can be saved by God himself if he chooses to do so because he has all the power to do that. But why did he choose all of us to share the good news to all people? Because we can identify with other people's emotions. We can identify with other people's experiences. And he wants us to be partakers, and we will see that later on in the passage. He wants us to be partakers of the divine natures, to share in his kingdom, in the work of his kingdom. So in verses 1 to 4, let's look at verse 1 to 4. We see that to live an excellent life, you must be first and foremost connected to God. Okay? You must be connected to the Lord God. So verse 1 continues with, To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So he was writing not only to a select group of people, but to all who has obtained this kind of faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ through faith in Jesus Christ because our faith in Jesus Christ is given to all of us through God and our Lord Jesus through his righteousness we become righteous this faith that we have in him does not belong to us it's the gift of God also Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us it's the gift of God that's why when we are saved we are saved by grace through faith in him faith is not the good works that bring us to salvation faith is given to us as a free gift from the lord god himself and by faith in god by faith in jesus christ we become reconnected to the lord yes we know that in the garden of eden adam and eve were children of god but when they fell into sin that relationship was broken that relationship was broken and only Jesus Christ reconnected that relationship between man and God himself so you must be connected to God in order to live a life that is excellent rather than mediocre and take note this faith is through the righteousness of God it's not through our, our righteousness because Isaiah 64 verse 6 tells us that our righteousness says plural are like filthy rags you know filthy rags like this one the mats there the mats in your in your houses full of dirt that's our righteousness that means our righteousness our good works can never attain the requirement of god god requires perfection in anything that he demands from people and how can we have perfection how can we fulfill the requirement of god if we are not 
even perfect. But there's one person, the God-man Jesus Christ, who is perfect. And he gave us the opportunity to be connected to the Lord through his life, death, and resurrection. And because of this faith, because of that connection to the Lord, verse 2 tells us that grace and peace is multiplied to us. Take note, it didn't say grace and peace be added. It's multiplied. It's increased. Not by adding 1 plus 1, but, but by multiplying 10 times 10 times 10 times 10. So that means abundance. The blessings that God has given us through our connection to Him, the grace and peace, is abundant blessing. And again, how are we able to get that grace and peace? Through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Remember, the word knowledge in the Bible does not refer to just head knowledge or information. Not just knowing what the facts or the data, but it, it means instilling them into our hearts and translating them into actions. So knowledge means intimate knowledge, experiential knowledge, a relationship. That's what knowledge in the Bible tells us. Just like when you know in, in Genesis, I think in chapter 4, it says, Adam knew Eve. There's that intimate and personal relationship between Adam and Eve. And the same with all of us. When we know Jesus Christ, you have a personal and intimate relationship with Him. That's the starting point. Because otherwise, if you go to verses 3 to 8 or verse 7, that will not matter unless you are connected to the Lord. You can never live an excellent life unless you are connected to the Lord. In John chapter 15, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And what was his command? He tells us, abide in me and abide in my words. Stay with me, remain connected, remain attached to me and in my word. Because apart from him or without him, the Bible says, you can do nothing. Even if you exert everything in your life in order to live a holy life, if you are not connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are not saved, if you are not a believer in Him, then everything will be put into waste. The starting point is to be connected to the Lord God. And so the source of this connection is God and Jesus Christ our Lord. There is this divine power, verse 3 says, according as His divine power has given unto us all things. Again, we are able to live an excellent life because of the power of God. It's not based on our own power or energy or strength. This power is the word dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. So this power comes from the Lord God Himself through His Holy Spirit who lives in each one of us. Without that power, everything that we'll do will be put into waste. In order to live an excellent life, you need to be connected to the Lord. And this divine power has given us everything that we need to equip us 
verse, verse, four, verse 3 says, that pertain unto life and godliness. Everything that we need to live a life that is pleasing before God, it's already according to God's divine power. We don't need to look for other sources in order to live a holy life. The Word of God is our firm foundation. We, we sometimes sing that hymn, the Bible stands. Because the Word of God stands forever. This is the only book that can stand and withstand the test of time. This Bible has been the bestseller for thousands of years since this was written into book form. And many, many people, especially during the time of the Dark Ages, this Bible has been destroyed many times, burned in fire. But until right now, we still have the Bible, not only in book form, but we have them in digital form. But the problem is that we keep them in the bookcases. Or even if they are in our smartphones, we don't even open them up. We rather open up our Facebook, our Twitter, Instagram, and everything else, but not the Bible. Not the Bible. So how can we derive this divine power that can help us to live a godly life if we do not open it up? Do we have only an opportunity to study the Word of God during this time, sermon time? Just 30 minutes to 45 minutes and probably one hour tops on Sunday morning, and that's it? And all throughout the week, from Monday to Saturday, your mind is so polluted with the garbage of the world that tells you, you can do your best without the help from your God. You can solve your problem by looking at, looking at YouTube. You can solve a problem by consulting those gurus, those so-called experts. But we as Christians, we need to tap on this divine power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, without our connection with the Lord God Himself, we cannot live an excellent life. Verse 4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. God did not only give us the divine power and the provision to live a godly life, but He has given us those promises. Yes, I know, when we talk about promises, especially promises from the politicians all over the world, we know that they can, we cannot trust them. But let me tell you this. We can trust the promises of God. Why? Because open your Bible from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. All His promises have been fulfilled. And all His other future promises will still be fulfilled. He says, I will remain faithful even if you and I are not faithful. You can rely on Him. You can trust Him. Last week, we talked about forgiveness in the life of Joseph. And sometimes, when someone offended us or we offended another person, that trust is no longer there. 
between the two of you. Why? Because trust is hard to rebuild. It's very difficult to rebuild the trust. Yes, there may be forgiveness and you may for forget what the other person do, but that trust is very difficult to rebuild between two people. But God will never break his promise. God will never betray us. He will always fulfill his promises. Take note, the Apostle Peter says, these promises of God are exceeding great, which means it's a mega thing. It's abundant, it's plentiful. And it's also precious. What is the most precious in your life right now? Perhaps your possessions? Your family? Your own life? Is there anything else that is more precious to you? than the promises of God and His presence in your life. I pray and hope that you can sit there right now and tell God, God, you're the most precious person in my life. Because you're the only one who can fully understand me. You're the only one who can give me an excellent life. My relationship with you is very important. I pray and hope that that is your dedication to the Lord, to remain committed to Him, that you trust His promises. Because of these promises and this divine power, the Bible says, verse 4, that by this you might be partakers of the divine nature. The word partaker means sharers. When we have this provision, this power from the Lord God, to live an excellent life, we share in His nature. We are able to get out there into the world and live a life that is excellent and pleasing before the Lord. And the last part of verse 4, the Apostle Peter reminds us that we just have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He is reminding his listeners and all of us that we have just escaped our Egypt, the slavery of sin in the past. He reminds us that you are no longer there in that situation. You are now redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And now you live as the redeemed servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world that we live in right now is so corrupt. It is corrupt because of its own sensual appetites. Lust is, is, is something that is forbidden. Forbidden by whom? By the government? By yourself? Forbidden by God and His Word. And these are desires that cause us to be tempted and to fall into sin. So the point here is we need to remain connected to the Lord. And as we remain connected to the Lord, we live an excellent life. We give our best. We don't give our best just because of our own strength. We give our best because of the divine power and the promises that he has given us. There was this Harvard professor, and this Harvard professor has high expectations among his students. So one student handed in his paper, and then the professor handed back another note which says, 
Is this the best you can do? So the student did not ask the professor, what do you mean? So he just redid his own term paper and then handed it back to the Harvard professor. And this happened several times. The same note came from the Harvard professor and says, is this the best you can do? Then lastly, the student got fed up. So he asked the professor, what do you mean by is this the best you can do? So the professor said, I asked him again the, 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 the same question, is this the best you can do? So the student finally said, yes, professor, this is the best that I can do. So the professor said, good, now I will read it. So the point of the story is this, do your best for the Lord. He deserves an excellent behavior from all of us. He did everything for all of us, didn't he? He died on the cross for your sins, my sins. He has forgiven us in all eternity. He has given us this opportunity to gather together has given us the opportunity to win more souls for his kingdom would you not want to do your best to the lord secondly to live an excellent life you must be committed to growth okay so first be connected to him now that you're connected then have a commitment to grow in your relationship with the lord so second peter 1 verse 5 says and to not verse 5 says and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. So he said, beside this, beside what? Beside your relationship with the Lord, beside your connection with the Lord, beside your faith in God, you need to add all these things. But before you add to all these things, you need to possess one more attitude. What is that? The Word of God says diligence. You know what the word diligence means? patience eagerness to follow through what you need to do once we are connected to the lord what does the lord expect from us to do good works we are created ephesians 2 10 by god for his workmanship we are his workmanship to do good works that have been ordained before us before the foundation of the world so good works follows after faith so when we are diligent we are eager and willing and committed to do good works in the name of or the lord jesus christ and he said give all diligence the word diligence here does not only mean to be eager and willing and to be um passionate in doing good works but also means to make haste to make haste don't dilly-dally don't be lazy don't be a slugger in working for god's kingdom that's what it means by the word diligence because sometimes we say yes i am eager i'm passionate i'm willing to go next saturday at king george park to win souls for the lord 
But you're not making haste. You're not preparing. You're not equipping yourself. And then come Saturday morning, oh, I'll just do it again next week. That's a lazy Christian. God doesn't want any Christian to be lazy. He wants us to be passionate in the Word of God. And then it says, add. Okay, the word add means to increase. To add, like just in, in mathematics. Add to your faith. So we start with faith, our connection with the Lord. And as you grow, you add virtue to faith. So it's like the steps in the ladder. Or the flight upstairs in your house. The first step is faith, the bottom. And then you add to that faith virtue. Virtue means moral goodness. That is developed by good habits. Good spiritual habits. And that involves kindness. That involves reading the word of God, meditating, attending fellowships, and so on and so forth. But that's more of an inward thing. A moral goodness that is brought about by faith in Jesus Christ. So again, without faith in Jesus Christ, this can never progress until the last point, which is um, charity or the perfect unconditional love of God himself. So add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Again, knowledge does not refer to data or information, but knowing God, knowing Jesus Christ better and better. And the best way to get to know Jesus Christ better is through His Word. Because this is His letter to all of us. Without the Word of God, we can never know more about Jesus Christ. And then secondly, a thirdly, He said, after knowledge, you add temperance. Temperance is also self-control. That means that you become master of all your appetites and your desires. Because the problem in the world right now, and to some Christians also, is that we are not master of our appetites and, and our desires. We become slaves to them. We become slaves to, to our desires to watch and binge watch on Netflix. We are mastered by our desires to um, watch YouTube, to spend so much time in other things rather than the Word of God. So we ought to be masters. And that's what temperance is all about, to control ourselves. And of course, you cannot control yourself without your faith in Christ. Christ is still needed in order for you to grow in this point. So after temperance, when you develop that self-control in your life, then you will develop patience or perseverance. Patience is more aptly defined as steadfastness, remaining firm until the end. That means you'll never give up. You'll never quit. Some people would say, some Christians would say, I give up being a Christian because it's so hard, it's so difficult. Christians are not quitters because Jesus Christ will never quit on us. He will never give up on us. So why do we give up? on serving Him. After patience, add to it godliness. Okay? Godliness means fear, respect, reverence towards God. And then, 
after you develop that reverence toward God, then you can have brotherly kindness or brotherly love. Why is that important? Because if you don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, how, who is invisible, how can you love other people who are very much visible? Doesn't make sense. You need to love God first in order to love people. That's what the Word of God tells. And that's our theme verse for this year, right? Love God and then love your neighbors as yourself. It didn't say love your neighbors first and then love God. You need to love God first. Because the love of God will permeate your life and that love of God will help you to love others also. Vertical relationship is important in order for you to flourish in your horizontal relationship with other people. And then after brotherly kindness will be the perfect kind of love, charity. Charity. You know why charity is used in the King James rather than uh, the usual word for love? Because the word charity, especially the, during the biblical times, charity is usually manifested by giving. Just like God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The best way to show your love to God and to people is to give. Because that's what Jesus Christ did to all of us. He gave His life to all of us. And that's what we can do to other people and also to God. By giving. Giving your time, giving your possessions, giving your money, and everything else for his kingdom so what happens if you all have all these attitudes verse 8 says for if these things be in you and they're abounding you are progressing in those steps of growth then you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge for Lord Jesus Christ you will produce fruit and sometimes we thought that fruit is all about bringing people to Christ and when we tell people I don't have much food in my life why because I don't bring so many people to the Lord Jesus Christ to get saved but remember the fruit in the Bible is not only people getting saved because of your witness it's also the development of your attitudes like the fruit of the Holy Spirit love joy peace patience kindness gentleness and so on and so forth so even though you are not winning many souls for the Lord Jesus Christ if you are progressing in your habits in your attitudes in your behavior then you are neither barren nor unfruitful verse 9 was a contrast but that he that lacked these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins so if you're not being fruitful and productive for the kingdom of the Lord, then it seems that you're living not an excellent life, but a mediocre life. It seems that you're living like your old past and sinful lifestyle. And God doesn't want you to live like that. Peter doesn't want us to live like that. He wants us to remember that we have been purged, totally cleansed from all those sins. Because remember, all those sins can become heavy loads and burdens that will pull us down 
and inhibit us from running the race that is set before us. So when we are not producing fruits, especially this fruit of uh, faith, virtue, godliness, and so on and so forth, then we are like blind people. We are far-sighted. We cannot see what is before us, what is the plan and the purpose of God for all of us. So that's very important to remember. Now in lastly, in verses 11, uh, 10 to 11, when you live an excellent life, you will be crowned with glory. When you're connected, you'll be able to commit to growth and then God will reward you. You will be crowned with glory. Verses 10 and 11 says, Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence. So you see again here the word diligence. This means that God intends for all of us to take part and to participate in His work in our life. And that's the essence of sanctification. Yes, before we were justified, when we were saved, it's all God's part. It's all God's work. But after we are saved, we need to do our part. We need to participate. We need to give all diligence in order to develop these habits and attitudes. And that's the purpose of sanctification. We need to always walk after the Holy Spirit rather than walking after the flesh. So give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Does Peter tell us here that you need to make sure that you are saved? You need to do more good works in order to be certain that you are saved? No. Because we know that if we are truly saved, then we are certain that we can go to heaven. That's the God's promise. But Peter is telling us here that when you do these things that I mentioned before, these steps to growth, that will be the evidence, the proof that you have true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like what James said in the book of James. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. If you say you have faith, but there are no good works manifesting in your life, then you need to examine your life. Are you truly saved? Because a person who is truly saved has the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit will work in his life and will help him to be productive in God's kingdom. For if you do these things, verse 10 says, you shall never fail. You shall never fall. You will never stumble. Doesn't mean that we will not commit sin anymore. Of course, we'll still commit sin. But this God's guarantee that even if you fall, Proverbs says, you will still get back up. If you fall seven times, the Bible says, you will still get back, back up. If you are a truly person, a truly righteous person, saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 11 says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just keep, uh, put this in your mind. Imagine this. As you remain connected to Him and you co you're committed to, to growth in the Word of God and you are crowned with glory, when you go to heaven, the picture is like this. Jesus Christ will roll down a welcome carpet to you and say, not, 
Oh, welcome to the awards night. No? He's going to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because you have followed my commands. You have been committed to growth. Now are you, are, I'm crowning you with glory. Can you imagine that? God will roll down a red, a red carpet to all of us and welcome us. Just like the father of the prodigal son. Hey, remember the father of the prodigal son? When the prodigal son came back to him, the father did not say, Oh, why did you do that? Why did you, why did you waste all your money into, into that kind of uh, wasteful living? When the prodigal son came back to him, he embraced him and gave him his rewards. The father crowned the prodigal son with so much glory. The more is going to give us all these rewards. But of course, we know that all these rewards will still be laying down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember our goal. Our goal is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Our goal is not just to listen to the Word of God. Our goal is not just to sing to the Lord. But the most important goal is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And to become more like Jesus Christ, what did He do most of the time? He ministered to people. Right? He healed them. He showed kindness to them. But what about His point? His point was for them to believe in Him, in the Gospel. So that should be our point. As we become more like Jesus Christ, we become more compassionate like Him. And we want more people to be knowledgeable and to be having a personal and intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you may not know this person. In conclusion, Stradivarius. I don't know if Brother Ryback knows this. He is the maker of fine violins. Antonius Stradivarius. He said that one time, he insisted that no instrument constructed in his shop would be sold until it was as near perfection as human care and skill could make it. He said, God needs violins to send his music into the world. And if any violins are defective, God's music will be spoiled. His work philosophy was summed up in one sentence. Other, other men will make other violins, but no man shall make a better one. He expected his workers to do their very best in producing violins. How much more should we, as Christians, strive for excellence in our life? Let me give you a three-point application. How can we live an excellent life? By connecting, being committed to growth, and being crowned with glory. First and foremost, let us cooperate with God. Cooperate with God. He's always doing the work. Sometimes behind the scenes and even through our life. But we must cooperate with Him. We need to tell Him, Lord, I want to understand and to apply Your commands in my life. I want to be diligent. I want to be more passionate in serving You. Secondly, get off the couch. Some of us have couch potato faith. You know what's a couch potato faith? That's a faith that is lots of bulk but not much activity. 
That's faith that is just like a spectator faith. Okay, pastor, you do the soul winning, we'll just be here on the chairs watching you. We'll cheer on you. You're your cheerleaders. That's the couch potato faith. But God wants us to have the marathon faith. The marathon faith is lean, mean, light, strong, and always on the move. That's the marathon faith. And we as Christians should have that kind of faith. Lastly, live for the future. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we're almost there. We're almost at the finish line. And you know who's at the, at the end of the finish line? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Waiting to congratulate us. You have done it, my good and faithful servant. So don't think about quitting. If there's a family member that is backsliding, if there's a family member who has not known Jesus Christ yet, as his or her Lord and Savior, don't quit. Keep on preaching the Word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is welcoming us at the finish line. He deserves our best. Are you giving your best to your Lord right now? Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this great passage that you taught us this morning. I pray that this will renew our faith in you, renew our promises to you, Lord, to serve you wholeheartedly, to serve you passionately, to serve you faithfully. Because we are envisioning right now that you are at the end of that finish line. As we run this race, there's no more time to quit. There are no excuses that we can tell you right now. We just have to make haste and to pour out all our diligence to be steadfast in winning more souls to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that we have your divine power, the power of the Holy Spirit, to guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.